So let's do this. The time is 6.23. The time April, is... I mean, March 6th <laughs> of the year 2001. And... 20. 2021. <laughs> Shit. Nobody's listening. Whatever. Yeah, nobody's listening. I, our numbers have dropped from our first episode. I've checked. <laughs> Just a tiny bit. Just a t- <laughs> my, my suspicion is that it's due to the sound quality. And yeah. now that we're going to improve the sound quality, people are going to be turning in again if they haven't forgotten about us completely. Exactly. When the sound quality is better, people will either listen to it to go to sleep mm-hmm. or for like ASMR purposes to like calm down. Right. Because we're, so- is... we're softly spoken. Right. Both of us. Very soft. And this is episode four of Sound Digressions. And uh, what have we got uh, for a subject today? Today, gentle listeners, we have a very intriguing and exciting story to talk about. This is a piece of news that happened some time ago. And Samuel, I was wondering actually how... Oh, how we could do this, because I feel this story itself is so suspenseful, mm-hmm. and I would really like to do that justice, so I was wondering if we, like, leak the whole so thing at the be... beginning, or well... if we go step by step and talk about the details. Did you watch the Unsolved Mysteries episode on it? I didn't. Oh, I, I should only... have sent you that. I, I only... should have sent you the link. That's <clears> alright. <throat> uh, yeah, but I read a bunch about it. And so I'm okay, sort of, right. and the way that I read it felt like it really, so it just, even just reading about it was such a buildup. Yeah. But it's like, on November 24th, 1971, at 2.02 p.m., a man with the alias Dan Cooper boarded a Seattle-bound flight from Portland. I think that's it, right? Yeah. It's like a... Sh- it was supposed to be like a 30-minute flight. 30-minute flight. Turns out no. <laughs> things went differently. Yeah. He, he was seated in the back row, like very, well, towards the back end of the plane. 15, row 15, row 18. Yeah, there's some dispute as to like which, which row he sat on, right? Yeah. And he was dressed all in black. White shirt, black tie. Mm-hmm. Like a businessman. And he had an attaché briefcase with him. And one of the first things that he did when he, as soon as he sat down, <clears throat> what what was the drink he ordered? You know, or like bourbon and soda. There you go. I knew you remember. Uh, he ordered a bourbon and soda, and he gave a note to the flight attendant. Yeah, sitting closest to him. Right. And. She's probably got, I mean, from an interview, she's like, she said that she gets phone numbers all the time from, like, lonely businessmen. So it's like, whatever. Uh, thanks a lot. Another one. Yeah, just drops it, it, drops it in her it purse. I'll put my little lo- lonely businessman, businessman number basket. Yeah. And, yeah, she didn't read it for a while until, and until he implored her. He's like, you better read that note. I've got a bomb. Yeah. Um, and apparently it was in just written in black felt tip pen. Right. On the Very piece simple of paper. Note. Uh and yeah, besides announcing that he had a bomb on the note, uh I think he had his list of demands mm-hmm. on the note as well. Which were uh he wanted two hundred thousand dollars in small bills. $20 bills. Yeah. Uh, he wanted four parachutes. Yes. And, and mm-hmm. he also wanted to be guaranteed that the plane would be refueled once they arrived in Seattle at the Seattle-Tacoma airport. Mm-hmm. 
those were the three things. And this whole time, like the flight attendant tells the flight crew, so the pilot, co-pilot, the other flight attendants, they all know, but the passengers, how many were there? I think it was um, like maybe like 60 people. They said actually, recall. they said that the airplane was only a third full and that there were about 35 or 36 passengers. Ah, okay, okay. Because mm-hmm. it was on um, no- November 24th, so the day before American Thanksgiving. Right. Yeah. This will become important later. Yes. Um, so they land in Seattle and they let the passengers out. None of them have any clue that anything has happened, that a hijacking has happened. No, they just told the... I mean, and the other thing is, they arrived, they... While they were flying to Seattle, they actually had to circle the plane around Puget Sound. They only... Uh, right, right, right. They only announced to the passengers that there were some kind of technical difficulties, so they mm-hmm. couldn't land right away. So they just circled right. the plane, and they were basically waiting... For the... Uh, the refueling truck and the money. And the money and the parachutes. Yeah, right. and until the ransom was ready, he wouldn't let them land the plane. Mm-hmm. And so this, uh, what should have been a 30-minute flight, ended up being almost three hours right. in the air. Which is, yeah. I don't know if you've ever been in an airplane circling like that. I have a couple of times, and it's... Barf City. Yeah. That is so uncomfortable. <laughs> Especially on the West Coast there. I mean, that area is not, it's not a big area. Yeah. So for that type of commercial aircraft to be going around in circles. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, they land at the Seattle-Tacoma airport. They let the passengers off the airplane. And then, yeah, the FBI and the local police are interviewing the passengers right away. And because they have no idea that anything has happened, you know, they haven't paid attention to this very regular-looking businessman sitting in the back road who happened to stay behind. So nobody remembers him. Nobody really has any information to give about him. Also because he put on a pair of dark sunglasses right after Mm -hmm. he gave the note to the flight attendant. Right. Because she... Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And then it takes about two hours before they can take off again because they had... It wasn't intentional, but they had some problems with the refueling, uh, some mechanical problems, and I can't remember the full story on the parachutes either, but they had some trouble getting getting a hold of all four of them, right? Yes, because uh, they put together, they actually tried to provide uh, the hijacker with four military-issue parachutes, and Mm -hmm. as soon as he found out that they're military-issue, he rejected them he said no no no. i want normal simple skydiving parachutes we didn't want anything military issue so Mm -hmm. they actually had to contact a local skydiving school right in the area and uh they provided the four parachutes and then he approved them so okay yeah and then they finally take off and uh, he specified um, to the flight crew that he wants that they're going to take him to Mexico. Yes. And that they can only fly at 200 kilometers per hour, which is relatively slow, at 10,000 feet. Exactly, a very low altitude. For an airplane, yeah, mm-hmm. that's nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one, they tell him that uh, at that speed, at that altitude, they're going to be using a lot more fuel than they would otherwise. So they're going to have to like refuel and they negotiate for a bit and they settle on refueling. I think it's in Reno. Yes. Reno, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then the next uh, problem comes up is that um, he wants them to take off with the back staircase down. Yes. So one particular feature of the... Of this aircraft, the Boeing 727, is that uh, from the passenger cabin, you could actually there was a set of stairs that exited out the rear end of the plane. Exactly. This feature no longer exists 
on any airplane uh, after this hijacking, oh, well, after uh, events like this, they remove that feature completely from airplanes and you can no longer have a, you know, e such an easy exit from the airplane, no. uh, like a built-in mm -hmm. staircase. That's right. Uh, like he insisted to the pilots that he wanted to have the what was called the aft staircase, mm -hmm. I think, lowered, mm -hmm. uh, to be left lowered while they were taking off. And right. the co-pilots asked, uh, I guess, I want to say mission control, but I don't think that's the right <laughs> word. But anyways, there were engineers they that were consulted. <laughs> and Houston said, no, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and they said, no, it's too dangerous. They said, yeah. you can't do that. And he said... I think he, the pilots were against it as well. Yeah. yeah, everyone was against it except for him. And he said, no, you can do it. It's mm -hmm. not, it's doable. And they all said, no, you can't do that. And then they said, no, you can't do it. It's too dangerous. And so they agreed that they would take off with the aft stairs closed, mm -hmm. but that once they were in the air, they would open them again. And so he agreed. He said, okay, fine. Right, after right, right. after yeah. takeoff. Yeah. So I can't remember how long they flew for, but... Uh, not long, they, actually. Not very long. Mm -mm. Um... They from Seattle they got they got to about like uh the southern part of Washington State and uh the whole crew, the flight the one flight attendant, pilot, co pilot, they were all in the cockpit. Uh That's right. so he was completely alone at this point. That's right. He ordered them all to go into the cockpit. Yeah. Because the flight attendant, I guess, was in the body of the plane, well, body of the plane, the passenger side of the plane with him. Yeah. yeah. And he said, okay, now you go into the cockpit, close the door, and you're not allowed to leave. Yeah. And, that, and the last thing she saw was him, like, putting on the something, money. Yeah, something yeah, tying around, around his waist. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Exactly. And the plane left Seattle at 7.40 mm -hmm. p.m. Okay. So if you think it about it, just after eight, that exactly that they noticed the little blinking light came on in the cockpit, saying that the aft staircase had been opened. That's right, mid-flight, right? The staircase had been opened, and then at right. some point they were just flying, and they couldn't, they didn't know what was happening. They weren't allowed to leave the cockpit. They stayed in there as instructed. They right. noticed that the aft staircase had been lowered. There was a change yeah. of pressur pressurization in the cockpit. That was another thing. He ordered them not to pressurize the cabin. Before right, not to repressurize it, right? Exactly, not to repressurize because there's a thing about like being re air being recycled to make it more comfortable for people yeah, to yeah, fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, and then they noticed they had the they had the signal that the pressure had changed. The air is, the stairs had gone down, and at uh -huh. eight thirteen p.m. they noticed that there was. What did they call it? A slight upward movement of the airplane. Right, right, right. That, due to the change in pressure. Exactly. Like changing, like yeah, yeah, yeah. The the it the step the stabilize the plane. Exactly. A tiny yeah. bit. Yes, they did notice uh, that at that time, and they kept on flying. They flew. Yeah. They just flew with all and them they in the. And they arrived in Reno after ten. Yeah. I remember correctly. After ten yeah. p.m. or so. Yeah. Exactly. So, and when they arrived in Reno, he was no longer there. He was no longer there. Yeah. It's also of note that mm -hmm. there were three other like military airplanes that were followed the plane after right, it took right, off right. Seattle. There was yeah. a military base close by, yeah. and there were yeah two. They scrambled a couple of jets to to follow them, right? Exactly, two jets followed behind, and actually a third one. Mm -hmm. And they didn't see anything. Mm -hmm. The airplane flew into Reno. They scoured the plane safely. He was yeah. gone. Um, but it was also like the middle of the night. There was a storm happening. They ran into a storm pretty quickly on, or pretty early on after taking off from Seattle. So the fact that they didn't see anything is not that surprising. Uh, but it left a mystery as to like when did he jump off the plane because he could have jumped right after opening the aft staircase 
He could have waited an hour. He could have like jumped off in Nevada. Uh, who knows? Yeah, because he had nobody like, knows. Nobody yeah. knows, and he had about a two-hour window almost of from right. between them taking off, them going into the cockpit, and him being just alone. Right. So nobody knows what happened. Hmm. The only things that they found in the airplane were his tie, his clip-on tie. Yeah, his tie clip. His tie clip, his mother of pearl tie clip. Yeah. Apparently some cigarette butts mm -hmm. of a certain kind and mm. a, some fingerprints, about 60 yeah. or so figure, fingerprints. Yeah. And that's it, everybody. And that's it. And that's the last time anybody heard of Dan Cooper, who Dan. was erroneously dubbed D.B. Cooper. Yeah. And that's like the name that everybody, well, everybody... That he's mostly known by D.B. Cooper, uh, but the actual alias that he used in the when he signed in at the airport when he bought his ticket with cash was Dan Cooper. Twenty dollars cash for that for that flight got him two hundred thousand. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, not bad. Not bad for not a small bad, investment. Not bad. Yeah. Pretty good turnaround. Oh God, this story, Samuel, is I re, re, learning about it was so exciting and interesting. I was just really wrapped up, and even I didn't watch anything visual. Only saw some the I saw the you know the what do you call that the the mock-up rendering mm -hmm. of his face to try and locate him. Right, right, right. Uh, it's so complicated and fascinating. They have never found him. They do not know what happened. The FBI has been researching, had been researching this from mm -hmm. 1971 until 2016. It was an yeah. open case. Yeah. They only closed it in 2016 because they said we have other more point, pressing yeah, yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. They scoured the area. Mm -hmm. I mean. Yeah, it was one of the largest manhunts ever organized. And the only uh, case of air piracy in the mm -hmm. history of the United States that has never been solved. Yeah. And I feel like the legend of like DB Cooper has like really sustained itself. There's uh an amazing number of suspects that keep coming up and you know as potential uh Dan Coopers and the majority of the time, the FBI says nothing about them because it's all just like circumstantial evidence. And like so many people want to claim, you know, you, you don't know what people's motives are for claiming that they are or for claiming that their neighbor is Dan Cooper. Or their or, brother. Yeah. There was one guy who called, contacted the FBI who said uh, his deceased brother must have been Dan Cooper. It had to be yeah. him. And then... That apparently they they had over eight hundred suspects. Wow! That they like that they processed <laughs> through this time. Eight hundred suspects. One thing that I looked at today that I hadn't looked at before was the fact that there were four different letters sent to newspapers. Um, allegedly from Dan Cooper. And they're very funny. They're very, very simple letters. <laughs> um, and most of them are just kind of like cut up uh, from like newspaper clippings letters. Um, one was sent to Vancouver, to a Vancouver newspaper, two to Reno, uh, the Reno Gazette, mm -hmm. uh, Reno Evening Gazette. Uh, one to the Vancouver province, and the other one, I can't remember who, who got it. Oh, really? They uh, sent it to the province in Vancouver. That, yeah. That's, um, I don't know if it was the province or not. Anybody from Vancouver, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is this mm -hmm. one newspaper that is a little bit more trashy. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. <laughs> is it the province? I think, yeah. it's, I think it's the province. There's and also the fourth the letter arrived to the Oregonian. Yeah. The, okay, the Oregonian. Yeah. So the thing is, looking at the map of where this happened was, first of yeah. all, really exciting to me because 
that is like the Pacific Northwest, and I I don't know, it feels mm-hmm. very familiar to me that kind of landscape. Mm-hmm. But where the the area like the what do you call that? The flight path. The flight path. I'm pulling like I'm pulling a string in the air here, <laughs> trying to you know, Samuel, I'm the pulling, opening a door. Uh, <laughs> um, it is just forest. There's nothing there. It's Mount yeah. Sa- Mount Saint Helens. Mm-hmm. Many rivers and lakes, and it, a lot of it is a protected forested areas there is probably not much other than some logging roads and part of it is that mm-hmm. in, ni- in 1980 with the eruption of mount st helens mm-hmm. throw back to last episode <laughs> volcanoes yes <laughs> it's been going on for a while eh? mm-hmm. mount st helens is still erupting yeah once mount st helens eruption the big eruption mm-hmm. that happened in 1980 uh in the spring probably destroyed a lot of evidence huh. that could have already because that was also the area because the 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 ash cloud mm-hmm. spread for quite a large distance and he <laughs> it is likely it could have been i mean they have done so many different tests to see to try and estimate where he could have jumped where he could have landed right it is so hard to estimate so challenging because they don't have uh, I mean, they tried to recreate the flight. They did, yeah. They threw a uh, 200... I mean, they did recreate the flight with <laughs> the same crew. Yeah, Yeah, with the same pilot, exactly. With a two, They pushed a 200-pound sled off the stairs, <laughs> and they recreated the upward movement. They recreated yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They redid everything to, to try to, like, pinpoint uh, the area where he could have landed. Yeah. But there... Because of the variations in wind speed, because there was a storm happening at that time, he could have, like, it's remarkably large, the range into which he could have landed. Had he jumped right after opening the aft door. And then once you take into account the fact that they don't know the precise time at which he jumped, uh... It just like messes up all your calculations and the air, the potential search area, it's too huge for them to ever have been capable of uh, carrying out uh, a bigger manhunt than it's, what already undertook. It it's was huge. Huge. Yeah. It's so vast. And I mean, there was actually another group of volunteers that called themselves, what did they call themselves? Something sleuths? Anyways, but they went out and started looking again, looking, scouring the Mm -hmm. area and using uh, different technologies to test the evidence that they did find. Okay, so let's list the evidence that they have found. They have found, first of all, the things they have not found is Dan Cooper. Yeah. Alias. They have found no human remains. None. None. So alive or not alive. Nobody we knows. No, yeah, he yeah. could be living alive and well someplace in this mm-hmm. on this planet. Nobody knows. Yeah. Um, to be fair, two hundred thousand dollars in nineteen seventy one American dollars. Mm-hmm. They, I read that in twenty nineteen or so it would have been worth about one point two six million U S yeah, dollars. Yeah, right. That's what I read too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the quite things, a bit of money. Okay, so the things that they have found, they found the placard. From the aft stairs with the instructions. Right. Yeah, yeah. Basically. The little sign that says danger, aft stairs, whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Don't open mid-flight. Don't open mid-flight. Opened. <laughs> Done. Full by. Yeah. Um, they also found a, a cord, a parachute cord. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know about the parachute cord. Yeah. They found a piece of plastic. <laughs> what did you do with a piece of plastic? But was it, well, that was that used to be part of an airplane? I don't know. Okay. They just said a piece of plastic, what I yeah. read. And the most interesting yeah. yes, thing yes, that yes. they found, yeah, was along the Columbia River, an eight-year-old boy was vacationing. When was it, in the 80s? I think, I think it was in the 80s. I can't remember now precisely when, when it was. I wrote Let's it down it somewhere. Uh... Uh, 1980, 
eight-year-old like boy mm-hmm. named Brian Ingen. Was, little Brian. Little Brian was on vacation with his family. And the mm. sort of like sandy, beachy sort of lake resort area. And he was mm-hmm. raking sand to make a campfire. And while he mm-hmm. was raking the sand, he dug up a couple, two bundles mm-hmm. of cash yeah. of the ransom money mm-hmm. that was just there in the sand along the bank of the Columbia River. So it was about $5,000, $6,000, something like that? Right. So something like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was two bundles. Each had probably, I don't know, I can't remember how many, like 200 bills each. And one of them had 190 bills. There was a few bills missing in one of okay. the bundles. Okay. And they, they can't explain why there were some bills missing from one of the bundles. Yeah. They still actually don't know how the bills got there. They can't determine. There are even different theories as to whether or not the bills, the bundles were buried there intentionally or if they mm-hmm. were dropped into the water mm-hmm. and then washed up onto the bank, the riverbank, mm-hmm. or if, or also when they got into the water. Right, right, right. There's different theories. They've tested the soil sediments between the bills, the way that the bills were eroded, the elastic yeah. bands around the bills were right, still right, right. intact. So they said, okay, well, if the if the bills had dropped into the water in 1971, they would not the the elastic bands would have been disintegrated by now. Right. They can't even figure that out. Yeah. And that's the only bit of evidence. That's it. That's it. That's all. That's it. That's all. That's it. That's all. All the rest. A dog. All the rest. A dog. Cheeseburger. Cheeseburger. Steamy. Put in. Yeah, that's it. That's all. They can't. They can't figure it out. No. And I mean, part of it is also that okay. November 24th, pre-Thanksgiving, that mm-hmm. is in this area also. I mean, that was in the Pacific Northwest, that's really winter. I mean, that's just before getting yeah, into the yeah. deep winter season. There would have certainly been snow. I mean, that's a mountainous region. Mm-hmm. Um, they waited until March after the, the spring thaw. Mm-hmm. March 1972, they did a more... Uh, they started a more another extensive manhunt. They even mm-hmm. put a submarine in one of the lakes in Whoa. the area, yeah, to try and look <laughs> look around. I mean, they really gave. You gotta give them credit. They they, they tried. Out. They went all out. They were like, we mm-hmm. trust this process, <laughs> or sorry, Americans, we trust the process, not process. American, mm-hmm. we trust the. How do you say? Process? Process? Process. I said whatever. Whatever. Doesn't Doesn't matter. matter. Uh, Yeah. I feel like what's fascinating, too, around the story um, is that, let me see if I get this right, that same year, there were, like, a lot of other attentive hijackings before or after i think after yeah well there was uh, one person who basically what was they who basically himself? replicated the same crime Some, something mccoy floyd mccoy or something like yeah, that. yeah yeah mm-hmm. he basically just copied the exact same thing exactly. and like even to the like planted to the same type of airplane asked for the ransom in the same amount of notes like banknotes mm-hmm I mean, uh, and sure. he was a prime suspect for a little bit too. Yeah. Until they realized that he was actually like in another state, having Thanksgiving with his family. Yeah. It was impossible. in 1971. Yeah, Richard Floyd McCoy, uh, Jr. Yeah. And so that was impossible for him. And. But there were like 15 other attempted hijack copycat hijackings. Yeah. Well, I mean, how inspiring is that? That some guy. Some to, random dude. Just, they were yeah. just like, he did it. Why can't we? Yeah. And... It blows my mind. 
But after that, like, uh, it was thanks to D.B. Cooper that your luggage gets checked every time now uh, when you enter an airplane. Well, before you enter an airplane. Yeah. Um, thanks, Dan. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thanks a lot. Thanks. You know, I really liked bringing all those water bottles. Oh, no, that's something different. So you can't bring water bottles because of other reasons. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, airport security was really amped up because he was able to walk into this airplane. Right, right, right. We forgot to mention this. Like, he actually showed the bomb to the flight attendant. Oh, yeah, that's so... Oh, right, that's an important detail. Like... <laughs> yeah. She when after he gave her the note, she put it in her purse and ignored him. And then he right. leaned over and said, "You should look at that. I have a bomb in my case." And then right. she was like, "What the fuck?" And so he was like, "Okay, come sit next to me." So she complied and came and sat in the seat next to him. And mm-hmm. she said, "Can I see it? Can I see the right. bomb?" And so he Any opened shorter? his briefcase slowly. And she saw cylinders mm-hmm. and a huge battery. Dynamite sticks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so he closed the briefcase and he was like, and apparently, this is the other thing. I think it's also interesting to note that everyone was so surprised that this white guy, polite, clean, mm-hmm. to, on some accounts, quote, well spoken, yeah. was a hijacker i mean like you look at the profile of like every single person uh who was suspected of the crime and they all look exactly the same they all have like the same military background yes uh, if they didn't fight in the korean war they fought in the vietnam war or world war Two. world war Two didn't show up so much but yeah the korean war and vietnam yeah and they all had either pilot training or extensive parachute uh, training. Um, Yeah, it feels like that. it is amazing, like, how many military-trained, middle-aged white men there there were to choose from as suspects. Um, Disgruntled former military... Uh, I don't know. Yeah. So, so many. <laughs> so many. Yeah. Take your pick. Yeah. Just a dime a dozen. And so yeah. these are the, this is the thing. I mean, okay. They assumed he had to have some kind of um, military training because he knew about parachutes. He knew about these airplanes. I'll come right. back to that in a moment because there's also some more evidence that they found later on mm-hmm. that could prove some other uh, things. Yeah. But interestingly enough, the four parachutes that he was given, two, he took two of them mm-hmm. uh, as he jumped off the plane. There were two parachutes left mm-hmm. on the airplane. And one of the two that he took uh, was just for training purposes. It didn't even work. Right. Yeah, because they took him in such a hurry that it was it wasn't faulty. It just wasn't it wasn't like a working parachute. They were yeah. in such a haste. They were in such a tizzy. Uh, right, and that kind of that like raised some suspicions in people. It's like if he had military training and was an expert on parachutes, why would he take the? Wouldn't he have noticed that he took a bad one? Exactly. That he took a trainer. Yeah. yeah and yeah. did the parachute even work? Right. Did it deploy properly if yeah. he had taken the wrong ones? Yeah. Um, so in the last years, they actually went back and with new technology tested um, the, t- the clip-on tie. Okay, first of all, yeah. clip-on tie, like... It's a, it's a tie clip. A tie clip? It's not a clip. Yeah, it's not a clip-on tie. It's a oh, tie clip. I thought there was a tie clip and a clip-on tie that they found. I don't know. Oh, now, you're, now you're making me doubt. But I thought it was just the, the clip. Okay, there was definitely anyway. Whatever they, whatever it is, they tested. So he, if he was in the military, he would know how to tie a tie. I cannot say anything to that because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you stumped me. This, <laughs> you stumped me, Samuel. I have no idea. Anyway, this uh, improv session is. 
Anyways, uh, <laughs> going down there. It's a bit weird. Um, so they tested the Thai, comma, clip, slash, clip, and they mm-hmm. found trace chemicals on, from... the, on the on the Thai and or clip on these. And mm-hmm. those chemicals, like, what was it, like titanium or something like this? Anyhow, there were a few different trace chemicals they found on there, leading them to suspect that he only, those kinds of chemicals were very, very rarely accessible in 1971. Mm-hmm. Um, and he must have had access to either some kind of chemical processing facility, mm-hmm. may have means that he may have worked for Boeing, in fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. may have worked for an airline company. He may have worked mm-hmm. as like a metallurgist. Uh, mm-hmm. What's that word mean again? Anyways. Yeah. But, it, I, I mean, think... who knows? Maybe it was from putting together the explosives. Maybe it was, yeah, it's true, his job. He could, mm-hmm. one, one, um, I'd say hypothesis, is that the word mm-hmm. for it? Mm-hmm. One hypothesis is that he could have jumped, survived, and actually had an accomplice, or possibly not an accomplice, but the way that he disappeared, it could mean that he actually just went back to his daily life. Oh yeah. Could have just gone back to work, like walked in yeah, yeah, on yeah. Monday. Took a mo- took a week off vacation. Yeah, because it was a four day weekend. It was American Thanksgiving. Yeah. I remember that the majority of the FBI uh, or whoever sp- spoke out loud about it uh, from law enforcement, they suspect that he had that he had died. Like a lot of people, a lot of like the primary. Uh, and initial theories are that he did not survive uh, due to the weather mostly. Uh, jumping at night into a forest uh, during bad weather in the middle of November. So th- there's a good probability that he died. Yeah. Um, and then if he had survived the 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 parachute jump then he's again he's in a very isolated area in the middle of winter and they didn't seem to have any like particularly uh, uh, he didn't seem to have winter clothes on and at that altitude it would have been extremely cold already when he jumped and would have been cold for a long time on the ground. Yeah. I read one account of somebody, um, well, this is one of like the primary suspects mm-hmm. uh, that didn't come out until very recently. Uh, the story of Walter Recca. Oh, I saw uh, that name, but I didn't look into it. Yeah, uh, apparently, um, Walter Recca confessed to it, uh, to, um, to somebody else called, uh, Carl Lauren, his friend. And he told Carl that he had landed and that he... He went, he found a highway, and then from the highway he found a little diner. And that at the diner he asked a particular truck driver for directions so that his friend could come and pick him up. So there's the idea of an accomplice, you know, coming to pick him up. And at some point... Uh, Carl Lauren passed on the story to somebody else who actually like made an effort to find the truck driver and the truck driver collaborated the story that this kind of like really uh, that this guy who looked like he had just been in a storm walked into a small diner in the middle of nowhere and asked for directions Oh, crazy. Uh, so, I mean, there are so many people 
confessing to the crime, uh, that it's kind of hard to say that if Walter's story is the real story. Uh, but, you know, that little bit of evidence, a little bit of extra, ex, extra evidence where, yeah, the, collaborate, the collaboration of the story from the truck driver who had nothing, you know, who was like independently discovered um, seems to lend some, anyway, the, there is some believability to that end. But the story didn't come out until 2018. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's fascinating that it seems like within the last like four or five years, there's been there's still a number of suspects who are either claiming to have been Dan Cooper or claiming that they knew Dan Cooper being announced. Right? It's it's funny. Like forty years after the fact, the almost fifty years, it persists. Yeah. Uh, the myth of Dan Cooper persists. The myth and of Dan so Cooper. It's so strong, and there's like, there's like so many suspects that just, uh, some more credible than others, uh, but there's just so many people that you know remained uh, in the public eye in some capacity mm-hmm. as suspects, as, as proposed um, Dan Coopers. Uh, and then they've been coming out uh, after such a long time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. The other interesting thing, well, not the other, there are many, many interesting things about this story, but where he got that alias, where he got that name. And mm-hmm. there, it's super interesting that there is a Belgian comic series that started in uh, the early 1950s called mm-hmm. Dan Cooper. It was a comic mm-hmm. book series about a Canadian, Royal Canadian Air Force pilot mm-hmm. and his adventures. And his mm-hmm. name was Dan Cooper. Which so, also... Ha- yes, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> You're on. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say. <laughs> oh, oh, here we go. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so there is some suspicion that uh, the person who used the Dan Cooper alias, the hijacker, mm-hmm. Dan Cooper, he could have been Canadian. Mm-hmm. Because there also was some suspicion about his accent. His accent didn't, he didn't sound American, apparently. <laughs> he had a very neutral accent. Yeah. So One they... of the suspects oh. uh, is a woman. Really? Yeah, Barbara Dayton. Oh, uh, she claimed to have dressed up as a man uh, to conduct a hijacking. Wow. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> sure. I mean. Uh, so maybe that's what that 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 was the reason for the funny voice. <laughs> for the funny voice. <laughs> <laughs> what they refer to as a funny accident must be yeah. Canadian. <laughs> must be Canadian. That's why her. That's why his accent sounded so funny. Yeah, doesn't quite add up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The other thing that led them to believe that possibly they were a person was Canadian was because um, he referred to wanting his ransom, mm-hmm. uh, the all of the money he wanted in in. He used a term something about. American something currency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, yeah, that term they would have never used in the United States and they were thought right, that right, a bit right. strange. And he knew the area. At some point when they were flying over, uh, well, on the first flight with all of the passengers mm-hmm. on their way to Seattle Tacoma Airport, he also apparently looked out the window and said, oh, uh, that must be Tacoma down there. Yeah. And he that was one thing he said to one of the, the flight attendants. And then the other thing that led them to believe that he must have known the area really well was mm-hmm. that he knew that the the Air Force base was only a 20-minute drive from the airport. Right. And I thought, oh, okay. Later on, it was exactly that. It was, like, very precise. Mm-hmm. And I mean, of course, he must have studied the area. This is not a person. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. Was no, so it was well very planned. well planned. 
He must have known this area of like well executed fine tooth yeah. comb. Yeah. They certainly combed the area for him, but mm. yeah. What a guy! What a person! <laughs> oh, honestly, it's fascinating. What, when wow. you when you sent it to me, <laughs> my first read because Samuel, you suggested the the subject for this week, yeah. And I said my first reaction said, Dan Cooper, where are you? Send us your money. <laughs> That'd be nice. Well, we are looking for sponsors to the podcast, right? Are we? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Well, we're not looking, but if Dan is out there and wants to pitch hey, uh, in a few bucks. Hey, Dan, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do this you think? This podcast is for you. <laughs> this podcast is for you, Dan Cooper. So, Samuel, what, what's your, what do you think happened? Huh. I think um, everything considered, my suspicion is that the most likely outcome is that he did not survive. And, but it's, that's just saying, like, I think that's, looking at everything, it seems like the most likely outcome. But, there is no evidence that that is the case. So until any evidence is presented, it's like it's really an open case. Yeah. Um, and there are many ways. I mean, even though the probability is lower that he survived, there are many ways in, he, in which he could have. And uh, and I think it's uh, obviously the story is amazing and it survives without the need for him to be alive or dead. Um, and I've, yeah, definitely. I feel like of all the characters that were named as suspects, it's it's from from the little I have read, it seemed like Walter, Walter was the most that. probable one. Yeah, yeah. Um, Walter Recca, but he's also the one that least looks like from the photo that they have of him on Wikipedia. He's the one that least looks like uh, like the photo. Oh yeah. One thing that happens in the in the um, unsolved mysteries episode is that they interview uh, the flight attendant. The episode was filmed in like 1988, mm -hmm. and so she was still around, and they interviewed her. Uh, she's on the show. And she says that she never liked the composite drawing that they did of him. Oh. That it didn't really look like him. Uh, and she asked for, like, a new drawing. To, well, she didn't ask. Like, the, the producers of the show suggested that they make a new drawing, you know. Uh, and to her, you know, like, the memory of who this man was is still, like, really vivid in her mind. So she works with um, with a police sketch artist, and they draw a very similar but very different looking guy. Uh, the Dan Cooper photo, like sketch that's been released, has a very high forehead, mm, and she draws somebody with like a very very pronounced widow's peak. Oh. Yeah. Uh, uh, a, a receding hairline, but like a pronounced widow's peak, mm -hmm. which is different than, than the composite. Yeah. Um, and there's a few other like subtle differences, but uh, but all in all, it ends up being like this very average-looking middle-aged white guy. Yeah. Uh, Does yeah, it look I anything would, like Walter Recca? Well, you'll see the photo of Walter Recca, and, and he doesn't. It's a photo of a much older Walter Recca, or maybe not much older, but uh, he's got a mustache, he's got very different hair, he does have a bit of a widow's peak, but he looks like a, mo a much heavier set man, uh, or a little bit of a heavier set man than... Well, I guess with all that money, there could have been also the possibility that he would have escaped and gotten plastic surgery. 
Maybe he's in Mexico. Maybe he's like, in Mexico. Like he, like he wanted to in the first place, right? I don't know. Something tells me... I, I still don't really know what happened. I also suspect that possibly he didn't... I mean, there's a very strong possibility he did not survive. I... Oh, I actually don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he made it all the way to Mexico. That's a big... That's a lot of land to cover. Right, but it's also like such a different time, right? You can board an airplane under a fake name. You know, like what uh, the sort of like border controls and airport security that we have now was like not even close to what no. they had. No, like, I mean, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like what they had back then was not even close to what we have now. Yeah, I couldn't. One time I had, this was some years ago, I was flying back to Vancouver uh, and I was on a connecting flight somewhere. I think it was like, I don't know, Copenhagen or something between Berlin and Vancouver. And at that airport, I got checked because something happened with my flights. I booked them separately. I think mm-hmm. I was either tired or drunk when I booked the flight. Or both. Or both. <laughs> and the name on the ticket of the second flight because mm-hmm. uh, I think it was a different airline carrier or not connected somehow. Mm-hmm. I think it said my name, my my name, instead of saying my first name and last name, it said my last name twice. And I think mm. one time it was misspelled. So I Mathieu, entered. Mathieu. Yeah, Mathieu, Mathieu. I entered it improperly and they yeah. wouldn't let me on the flight. I had wow. to go through this whole rigmarole to try mm-hmm. and like prove my identity. And it was. It was pretty annoying because, you know, yeah. for obvious reasons. But yeah, it was yeah. a bit touch and go for a minute there <laughs> for my own person, just a, for a typo. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I mean, an alias. Yeah, no, <laughs> wouldn't work. Yeah, oh, Things have changed a lot. I mean, the Boeing 727, uh, that airplane, they obviously don't make it anymore. But it was, that type of airplane was in use for years. Actually, they yeah. only it's still in, it's still in use. Um, it's but is it just like for military cargo now? Military cargo is like freighters. Uh, FedEx has been they it has been the main um, huh. airplane for FedEx since the seventies mm-hmm. or earlier possibly, and mm-hmm. um, they only started phasing them out in twenty sixteen. Huh. Yeah. Apparently, it was actually an airplane that was quite favorable for commercial, domestic, and international flights because mm-hmm. it's quite it's quite long mm-hmm. and uh, lean, and it could actually you could fly it into and out of big cities, you know, with large populations, so you could like cater mm-hmm. to bigger cities. But you could also you could take it and land it on smaller airstrips, even if they had a little bit of gravel. So. In fact, the 727, they even uh, can fly it up north in Canada. It's like Resolute Bay, like smaller Mm -hmm. places. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's quite flexible in that way. So in that way also, you know, okay, if someone already knew about airplanes, I mean, Dan Cooper must have known so much about this very specific aircraft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But it's also And it was probably right that you could take off with with the door open. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Um, yeah, sure. I don't. He wouldn't yeah. have taken the risk, otherwise. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, Another mm-hmm. thing now is that all cockpits have peepholes. That's right. That was another thing introduced thanks to Dan. Dan Coopies. So that the the crew can look at the at the passengers, not the other way around. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So they get locked in the cockpit again. At least they can peek out. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing over there? They can see who's holding them back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is what we all want, really. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so much has changed in air travel. Remember when they used to give you meals on the airplane? Like proper meals in Canada? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, I don't know. I feel like the last time I traveled, I got a proper meal. But it was like with Turkish Airlines. Oh, yeah. They have good meals. Yeah. I flew with them once. Yeah. That was tasty breakfast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm talking about domestic flights. Uh, yeah. Yeah, domestic flights are they're very like bare bones now. Mm. They like they even want to charge you for water at times. Yeah. It feels like. Yeah. It drives me crazy. I was on a flight once, and I do the the. I try to be as clever as I can now when I'm getting on an airplane. I bring an empty water bottle with me always. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. my. That you can fill in at the airport. Exactly yeah. in my in my hand luggage. And one time, uh, I was on this United Airlines flight. Uh, it was a long haul across the ocean, and there was a spot uh, in built in the cabin, the passenger cabin, where there was a little water fountain, and it said on a little placard, you know, the little name tag, "Drinking Water." And so mm-hmm. I was filling up my water bottle there for hours. I mean, this was like a nine, ten hour flight. Yeah. And so I was just drinking and drinking and drinking like it was going out of style until a flight attendant came by in the middle of the night <laughs> mm-hmm. and caught me doing it, or at least she saw me doing it. She said, oh, oh, no, honey, you don't want to drink that. And then she started filling up my water bottle for me with the <laughs> bottled water. She was just like, no, 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 no. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh, no, dear. Yeah. No. Don't. You don't know. Oh, my. Yeah. And I just thought, well, why is it? Why are you telling uh, me I can drink this if I should? And at that point, you don't know if this person is like. I feel like most <laughs> people that I know who are germophobes mm. are not all out germophobes. They'll have like very particular things that they're germophobic about, like uh, sharing a water bottle or I don't know, touching whatever and stuff. But are really kind of like laissez-faire about other things. Yeah. Yeah. Picking up food off the ground and eating it right away. Story of my life. Totally fine. Once it's in your mouth, you don't know if it's food. (laughs) (laughs) So it could have been that this flight attendant was like really horrified by this particular water fountain. Yeah. Or... She was actually warning you about bad water. Could have been both. <laughs> if I was lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Dan Cooper was a germaphobe? I don't think so. I don't think so either. He couldn't have been. No. I mean, like, if he was jumping out of an airplane at that altitude. You know, he Risking, even... like, severe injury. Yeah. Yeah, he even... He was apparently so uh courteous that he even i think he ordered another bourbon and soda on the airplane and he even paid his drink tab yeah yeah yeah, he and did he wanted to, to tip didn't he offer to buy drinks for the crew as well he offered point? to buy meals for the crew meals right. for the crew when they landed he said well i'm you know like organizing this ransom you guys want me to just or like organize yeah. some dinner for hey you? guys i'm just about to get two hundred thousand dollars like i can spare a couple of 20s yeah, yeah. what do you what do you think like i'm just gonna make it rain and we'll yeah. have like <laughs> prime rib wouldn't that be i mean oh my god i wouldn't have no. changed the story but maybe he would have survived the the parachute instant that's it samuel if he had prime rib <laughs> no he didn't have dinner this poor guy, he didn't have a proper meal. <sighs> <laughs> I solved it. Why hasn't anybody talked about this yet? He got on that plane. The plane took off at like 10 minutes to 3 or like 2.40 yeah. p.m., 2.50 p.m. On, what was it? He was it? probably too nervous to eat, too like yeah. strung up. True. Yeah. But at some point, acting so, re- well, no. I mean, the crew must have been, I mean, once yeah. they calmed down, they, yeah, you're right. You're I'm right. sure they were all like running on adrenaline yeah, for like a few hours. Not because yeah. he didn't have a proper dinner. Any of them. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't think it's good to skip meals. I don't think so either. No. I, I did it one time. I did it one time this week. Oh, really? Uh, but it wasn't like skipping a meal. It was like having lunch at like three. Mm-hmm. Normally I have lunch at like at 1130 mm-hmm. or noon. Happens. Um, you were a busy bee this week. You had a lot. But uh, yeah, sometimes I just feel like you know, I'm going. I've got. I'm doing this thing, and I don't have to stop any. Yeah, and it's very rare that that happens to me. But yeah, it happens every now and then. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't an adrenaline rush. It was just more like a 
I'm working and I'm not feeling totally fatigued right now. So you got to do what you got to do sometimes. Sometimes your body says you can keep going for a couple of hours. Yeah. So it's fine. So yeah. the moral of the story, <laughs> don't skip meals. Don't skip meals. And, Never. Well, you know, you do you, as we yeah. like to say. We. <laughs> right. I say it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and secondly, Dan Cooper, where are you? Give me a call. You can call in. We won't disclose your location. Call we can in. have a live interview on the podcast yeah. with Dan Cooper. We'll all wear sunglasses so you won't be able to tell us apart. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was... I really enjoyed talking about that. That was a really great mm-hmm. subject. I wonder if we'll talk about more of this unsolved mysteries. Maybe. Maybe that. Maybe we've, we've changed... We've taken a turn. We've done... You know, because we did like three episodes that were like very kind of like scientific finding mm-hmm. um, kind of episodes. And well, I myself was like, I don't want us to become a science podcast. No, because, really? I mean, well, neither of us are scientists. What do I know? That, that, that's, that's one good reason why not to become a science Popular podcast. science. <laughs> Popular science with Monique and Samuel. Today on Wikipedia, I read, <laughs> basically... Right? Actually, actually, I mean, yeah. Actually, yeah. That, that's actually, yes, but uh, why did you tell them that? Why did you... Shh, don't listen to this. Don't, shh, shh. Um, He's just... Samuel, just don't. But, I mean, I like science podcasts, but I yeah, feel like it's they're, they're a lot more fun when there are scientists on there. Yeah. <laughs> they actually do that. They know their shit. Well, yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, I feel like picking Dan Cooper as a as a subject was kind of like deviating, you know, taking us in a different direction from that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Who knows what'll happen next? <laughs> Episode uh, five. Four. Four? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Unless you've been re- secretly recording episodes here. Oh dear, it's been a long week. <laughs> long life lived, everybody. Hopefully, also yeah. Dan Cooper, or not? I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess if he was in his early forties or whatever, late thirties, whatever age he was at, he would be fifty years older now. Almost. <laughs> that makes sense. Which would make him, yeah. And I feel like this is probably part of the reason why a lot of, like, disclosure has come out. Mm -hmm. Because it would be marking around not only the closing of the FBI file, but also probably at the end of Dan's life. He's being in his 80s now if he was still alive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dan Cooper, if you're out there, you know, great work, honestly. Great work. (laughs) We admire your work. I admire his work. <laughs> is that bad to say? No. I don't think so. I don't think it's, it's been, it, bad. Yeah. At least, I'm just so yeah. glad you didn't hurt anybody, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, like, uh, gave a lot of people jobs. That's one thing you have to say. It's funny. I was listening to a different podcast about, uh, and they were talking about the, um, the current floods in Kentucky, mm-hmm. in eastern Kentucky. And, yeah, the, the one thing that they mentioned is, like, a lot of uh, the economy depends on disasters to give people jobs. Uh, so here, Dan, so many cops got overtime and so many, you know, airport personnel and security people and other, uh, you know, he, and he gave us, you know, like, a podcast subject for today. And so many conspiracy theorists yes. have had such a great time, a field day for years, <laughs> attempting to investigate this case. Yeah. Um, and there's amateur sleuths everywhere, you know, who have solved the mystery of who Dan Cooper is and whether he survived or not. Even little Brian Ingman, Ing, Ing oh, sorry, Ing, Ingham, oh. little Brian, little Brian. 
who dug up um, <laughs> some of the the ransom money. Yeah. Apparently, they split once they um, everything was settled. Mm-hmm. They split the money. They actually gave half of the the ransom money back to Brian, little Bren, oh, yeah. and half the money to the insurance company who put put, put right, together right. the ransom. Right. And apparently, I think it was in 2018, Lil mm-hmm. Bren, no longer so little, he sold, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was 15 of the banknotes. Oh, wow. He kept them. He kept nice. them. He sold about yeah. 15 of the banknotes and he made like 35 grand at auction. Fuck. Fucking A, right? Yeah. Way to go, Lil Bren. I mean, those yeah. those Smart. notes. Yeah, those notes were, you couldn't put those in an ATM. They were all like like ratty on little the edges crumpled, little crumb they're all like ratty on the edges you can little find water damage you can see images yeah, online yeah they're like what some of them are just like all black and other ones are just like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. fungus on them yeah. yeah so it's kind of interesting mm. way to pay a uh, little little brian's college fund yeah hopefully well who knows maybe he's just putting a down payment on a home now who knows yeah, who knows? yeah. finders keepers Brian needed a bit of cash. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there anyone else we'd like to thank other than Dan Cooper? Uh, for today, I don't know. I feel like I didn't. I forgot to prepare some thank yous. Yeah, me too. I was thinking about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like I, I've, I've been staying. I mean, like I've been busy and like. I'm seeing people. I mean, working for people. So it's been kind of like a bit, a bit of a not particularly social week. Uh, nobody to thank. Nobody to thank. I just want to thank everybody. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Actually, you know what? I'm going to thank my friend Claire, who I talked about uh, before we started recording, for lending me her, her keyboard. Which I've been making good use of for the last few months. So nice. I'm grateful for that, for the gift of music. Thanks, Claire. Thanks for the gift of music. You're swell. Great. And that... You got anything? <laughs> sorry. Sorry Besides for the dead note. Silence. Sorry, for the, sorry for the silence. I was thinking and multitasking. <laughs> I would like to thank my partner, Marvin. Aww. Yeah. They've Thanks, been Marvin. very sweet this week. Mm-hmm. And I know that oh, not everything is super easy right now. But yeah, I would like to thank them. for Even yeah. though when things are hard, they're so sweet and can be very uplifting. So, yeah. Thank you, Great. Marvin. Oh, thank you, Marvin. I don't know if you listen to this. <laughs> Maybe you listen to it. That's great. Well, if not, it's also fun. If she listened all the way to the end. <laughs> oh my god! Now you, yeah. Here you go. Here you go. Here's here's your trick. It's not yeah. a test. I just wanted to say. Did you listen to my podcast? Oh yeah. What did I say at the end? <laughs> oh my god! That's okay. Well, thank you everybody for listening. If you made it this far. We have, yeah, I feel. <laughs> we really covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. That was nice. Bye. Bye.